Hello and welcome. I'm Rose Sampson Folk, and you're listening to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. This episode, a very special one, previewing the Raptors season with a good friend, a basketball expert, a guy I have so much love for, Evan Gualberto. We're doing a preview series over on his channel, double dipping with this episode. You're getting to see what we think of the Raptors this year. So buckle in and we'll preview all the pertinent news and information that you need to know and we'll even get into some breakdowns of play types and player archetypes. Okay, Evan, the Raptors, a team that appeared to be in limbo, waiting on the other side of Giannis's free agency decision, which was made mere minutes ago. And honestly, I feel like all of the middle ground that the Raptors fans and the Raptors organization have been walking saying, like, maybe Giannis comes next year. It's all gone. It's not there anymore. Luckily, though, they have a pretty great team. Lots of fun pieces. An older Kyle Lowry, but a very good version of him. Pascal Siakam is there, fresh off of an All-NBA second team selection. He just released a YouTube video, and he started up a YouTube channel where he's hyping himself up. Humble, hustle, as it were. OG Ananobi flashed significant playmaking pop or shot creation pop in his first preseason game. Malachi Flynn looks like the next coming of Chris Paul. Something like that I've been hearing. He's quite good. And there's a lot of things to like from the team. What do you make of the Raptors this year? They look fun. They look fun. If you watch the bubble, you have... If you only watch the bubble, which would be weird. If you only watch the bubble, you have a certain impression of Pascal Siakam. Those of us who watched a lot of Pascal Siakam know that the bubble version of him isn't necessarily an accurate representation of what he is, at least offensively. Defensively, I thought he was still fantastic in the bubble. And you can overlook, I can overlook, a player's offensive struggles if he brings it defensively. That's what I preach as a coach. That's what I like to see as a viewer. But I went through a lot of OG Ananobi clips, a lot of film. He is, I knew he was good. I thought he was, I've heard you talk about this a bunch. He's an all NBA level defender already. He's just not going to receive the votes because he he doesn't have the notoriety. But what I didn't realize is how freakishly strong he is. I was watching this clip yesterday. So he's harassing Will Barton at the point of attack. Barton receives a screen from Jokic. Jokic is trying to bully OG down into the post, and OG just moves him out of the post. He doesn't really, he doesn't even extend his arms. He's just, he's, it's just the forearm back down. He's getting him out of the post, and Jokic can't get good post positioning, so they swing it around. It comes to Jeremy Grant, who's driving baseline. OG goes up, contests it. I would argue it's a soft foul, but 
it was called a foul, so it's not going to be in any highlight clips. He was better defensively than I thought he was. Man, he's just, it's, it's kind of like a Sean Marion switchability type of thing. And I love Sean Marion. I love those sons. Mixed with like Ben Wallace, undersized, but so strong that he is moving centers out of the way. It's crazy. A really interesting and underrated OG stat is what percentage of his buckets around the rim he actually dunks. It's a similar percentage to Giannis Antetokounmpo. It's that low building two foot leap or just a standing two foot jump that he has so much strength that he can lift up over defenders through defenders on occasion. And that strength as well translates to the defensive end of the floor. As you said in that nuggets game as well, seven steals. Not only was he able to push Jokic, and like, here's the thing. If you're a Nuggets fan, I ran into this on Twitter one time. A Nuggets fan was like, Jokic actually played super well that game. It's like, yes, he totally did. They didn't have Gasol. They didn't have Ibaka. OG was the nominal five. OG did what he was supposed to do in that game. He made everything above the break hell where they like to have Jokic operate. He got seven steals, stole a lot of those point-to-wing or wing-to-point passes. And he also had 32 points on the other end. Space the floor. You don't think at any point in time there's going to be a play, like you said, where OG kind of stonewalls Jokic and it's like, oh, holy smokes, this guy's super strong. But he's not actually going to shut down Jokic in the post. That's insane. That's not going to happen. But he shows and flashes just significant strength and confidence and control that he doesn't always capture but looks to be, as we've seen in the first preseason game, capturing that balance and control and strength all together in one fluid motion at a time, that's happening more often. So let's talk wings first. And I think you'd agree that Siakam and OG should both count as wing players as this team is currently constructed. The bigs are Baines, Boucher, and Len for the most part. Whether Alizé Johnson makes it onto the team, who knows, really. I, I doubt it, but we'll see. Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, Norman Powell, Stanley Johnson, DeAndre Bembry, Patrick McCaw, Paul Watson Jr. That's the wings. Let's talk about OG. Let's talk about Siakam off the start. Raptors Twitter has been enamored with OG for a very long time. He's a wonderful player. He has a lot of great attributes to be excited about. After the first preseason game, coalesced with the idea that Pascal is the guy from the bubble, not the guy from all the games prior to the bubble. And OG having an absolutely hellish first preseason game. A discussion came up that thought, is OG going to be better than Pascal? Might he already be well on his way? What do you think of that conversation? And you can keep it short because I just think it's short. (laughs) I disagree. Is that, is that short enough? Um, so OG, OG is very good. As I mentioned, Sean Marion slash Ben Wallace level potential. Can he, is he starting to do more stuff off the bounce? Yes. Is he a rock solid shooter? Yes. Does he have the best moment from last year's Raptor season? Yeah, absolutely. But Pascal Siakam, in terms of how much upside he has, he went from a most improved player type jump to 
to second team all NBA, that's not something that happens very often. And what's crazy about it is there's much more room to grow for Pascal. If we're talking about who is the better wing to big, then I think OG has has a chance to be that because I think if you're thinking about it in terms of how things shake out, Pascal could very much be Draymond Green-ish. And he was in the finals when matched up against him, a guy who can bring down the board, push it on the break, be your decision maker. That's going to continue to grow. Whereas OG is your small ball five, your guy who you deploy his speed and his length and his strength and he can space the floor. He doesn't bring you any negatives in terms of shrinking the floor because he lacks ability. So in terms of those two things, I think OG's upside defensively, if he can put it all together, he'll be an amazing defender. But offensively, I I as Pascal's. If I'm wrong and OG turns into an MVP candidate, I'd be very happy about that. But based on what I've seen so far and the jump Pascal can make this season and going forward. Actually, I love the way they fit together defensively. I, they might not be my favorite defensive pair in the league. LeBron and AD, I thought, had an awesome season last year. Really fun pair defensively. Gasol and AD could also be that this year. But having who I think is the best coverage defender in the NBA, in Pascal Siakam, I don't think anybody comes close. And that doesn't mean he's the best defender in the NBA, but he's the best coverage defender. He almost contested as many three-pointers as he did two-pointers. And that's not because he doesn't contest two-pointers. He just contests a boatload of shots. He's everywhere. And he still has the defensive chops where you saw in the playoffs. He can lock down Tatum on an ISO possession. He can switch onto point guards occasionally. It's not, that's not the strongest aspect of his game, but it'll happen. But two through four, easy. He'll be an all-NBA-level defender switching onto any number of players in that group. It's going to take a superstar to score on him easily. OG Ananobi is a top five, easily most affecting one-on-one defender. And he's a better help side rim defender than Pascal is. Those two combinations make him a monster for pick and roll defense as well. Having those two guys to flatten out pick and rolls together in tandem is something I love that the Raptors have. I love seeing, especially Pascal or OG paired with Fred, because Fred is as tenacious as they come in those types of plays as well. I love their defensive chemistry. It's fantastic. It provides the Raptors with a floor of like a top 10 defense all the time. They'll have it for as long as those two guys are playing together in their primes. It's fantastic to see. You have those two things to build on. Concrete. Offensively, Pascal Siakam drives a lot. I've said this before, many different occasions I've written about it, but Pascal is a middling return guy as far as efficiency in pick and roll as the ball handler, the finisher, ISO, spot up all that stuff, post up, it's all near 50th percentile. So what you have there is a guy who does a lot of things okay. 
And the post-up, he used to do extremely well until teams started sitting on it. So you have to get the mix correct. With a guy who can do a lot of things, it's all about getting the mix correct. Is Chris Paul the best three-point shooter? No. Is he the best mid-range shooter? Yes. Is he the best finisher at the rim? No. But his combination and his, how he utilizes himself to score against lots of different types of people makes him better at the rim, makes him better from downtown. You have to leverage your higher potency skills to bring up your lower potency skills. And Pascal has to find the right mix of that. That's what this season is all about. And I hope with Chris Finch, I'm sure you'll touch on it in your coach's corner, but I hope with Chris Finch that we see Pascal get a chance for more screen help, less ISO, and more off-ball action. I'd love to see it. I don't think anybody should be surprised if Pascal has like a baby dip in a statistical category this year. The Raptors aren't trying to just shove the ball to him ideally. And if they do, I mean, hopefully he gets better. Who's to say? But a little dip doesn't matter that much. You just want to see the process get better. A little efficiency bump. And of course, he's one of the most terrorizing players in transition. OG, he brought the ball up. He's starting to bring the ball up quite a bit more in these preseason games. Is that going to stick in the regular season? Probably a little bit. Is it going to be something that happens all the time? I doubt it. He's big. He's flashed an advanced handle. This is something I wrote about last year when I looked at every time he put the ball on the floor, every time, and what happened afterwards. He consistently beat bigs off the dribble. He had the handle for that. It's starting to look like he can actually beat wings off the dribble now. Not consistently, not an incredible amount, but that is in his bag. And against smaller guards, something I touched on last year as well, something Zach Lowe touched on in a recent podcast, he can take smaller guards into the post. And as you said, a very consistent shooter. One of the most consistent shooters in the NBA last year. Any extra thoughts on those guys? As a dynamic duo, those two working together, like you talked about, the future is so bright because they can be so many different things and they both have so much room to grow and they're both very, very good. Yes, exactly. Okay, so among the guys who are offering depth at that position, DeAndre Bembry, Paul Watson, Stanley Johnson, Pat McCaw. Am I missing? Norm Powell. When we look at those guys, who pops to you immediately? Norm Powell. We talked about this on on previous podcasts. Norm Powell probably should have won Sixth Man of the Year last year. He wasn't eligible because he played too many. He started too many games. There were a lot of injuries, things like that. Norm Powell is a guy who he changes the tide of the game with what he brings. I, I believe we talked about this before. Pin down King receives so many pin downs, and we've we've also talked about this before. If you convert, if you change some of that action to OG or Pascal, I think they will become more effective and he will become, Norm will become more effective playing off of that action. Having him as your primary guy coming off of that, there's a ceiling to it. And going forward, I think Norm will start to pop more in the minutes he's given and the actions he's given. And he's a guy who can sort of, when one side is occupied, he'll duck in, he'll, he'll 
receive those pin down. He'll run around everything. He can feast on secondary action. He can feast on defense shifting all the way over, and he can attack. He's a guy who is an opportunistic attacker, and I think if he continues to build on what I've seen him already be able to do, then he will be better in his role. I think you hit on the major points is that in a structured offense last year, Norm was really, really good for the Raptors, whether it be the hammer play they like to run, a pin down for him, whether he, where he read the screen really well and the defense really well. He could duck back and take the three-pointer. He could charge over the top, turn the corner, head to the rim, or he could just pop out and hit a three. All of that was stuff he could do. Or he could transition into a pitch play to McCaw, Siakam, Lowry, whoever was passing him the ball. Good decision-making in the structured sets they ran. Very impressive in transition. I love Norm's transition game. He's become so much better as a finisher at the rim. He's fast. He's aggressive. And as you say, weak side attacking. He can make a, he can make a defense. He'll, he'll punish a defense if they sink. He'll hit from three. If they have that really hard closeout and there isn't a really good rim defender waiting for him, he'll, he'll probably take you to the rim, and he dunks a lot of his attempts there. Like he'll just go up there. He's a really quick jumper, and he'll rock it. That's super fun to see. Norm, even though he hasn't played well in the preseason, you don't want him to grow his game, really. I don't think. I don't think there's much to add there. You can see with Pascal. You can see with OG. They're brimming with other things they can add, other things they can do. Norm, it feels like I would be maybe asking a bit too much. Just keep succeeding at what you currently do, and he'll be very, very loved on that team and very valuable. DeAndre Bembry has been exciting, I think, in the preseason games. He has fulfilled the, a lot of the attributes that Nick Nurse has liked in Patrick McCaw's game, that point of attack defense, the chaos creation, as I call it, where it's not necessarily that he's the initiator, but in a broken play, transition, anything like that, he'll make a really high-level pass. They even used him as an initiator a little bit, and using Fred Van Vliet off-ball, that was successful for them. If he can take care of the ball, if he can play good defense, as you say, your coaching ethos, you'll find time for a guy who plays defense. Nick Nurse is the exact same. You don't really have to worry about it. Is there anything else you liked about his game? As far as his game, certain things will translate because of how Nurse has previously structured stuff. I mean to say... A lot of stuff they ran for Norm is very similar to stuff Atlanta ran for Bembry. Specifically, I'm talking about the Iverson cut across, and Marc Gasol is a very good passer, but you don't need Marc Gasol in this situation because he's one of the two bigs at the elbow anyway. He'll cut right across and quickly turn the corner and become a lob threat. And that's an action they ran for Norm. So as I talked about earlier, as we talked about, Norm doesn't have to grow his role because you can shift some of that action even to Bembry. You can have a guy who is a a vertical threat like that from the wing position in Bembry without having to overextend Norm. So in terms of that, I think there will be um, a relatively seamless shifting of that type of play action 
to Bembry. So I don't think you're going to miss a beat. And I really enjoy him as a defender. He will get after you just about anywhere you put him, really. So I like, I really, I do enjoy his game a lot. And so of the trio of McCaw, Stanley Johnson, and Paul Watson, I like Paul Watson the most because he is rangy defensively. He's long. He's a willing defender. And Stanley Johnson and Pat McCaw, while I think they provide above average passing chops for their position, for their body type, they just, they're different players than what you usually see, especially for Stanley Johnson because he's such a brutish kind of physical. He, he looks like he can go bang around and be really heavy going downhill. Not a huge part of his game. Both those guys pass quite well. They both are above average defenders, although within the team concept, Stanley Johnson can get lost a little bit. Patrick McCaw, him as well. Paul Watson, for me, of those three, represents the highest ceiling and probably a similar floor to Stanley Johnson. He has shot-making pop. And you love shot-making pop. It's so valuable in the NBA. You couldn't really want anything else if you're looking at the end of your roster and it's a team like the Raptors where the floor is so well-covered. You just know the team is going to be good. Look for ceiling where you can. That appears what that appears to be what they've done with a few of their draft prospects. OG, a ceiling pick, 100%. Pascal, a ceiling pick, 100%. And Malachi Flynn now, I mean, it remains to be seen, but he looks good as hell so far. Paul Watson, you've watched Atlanta tape. Did you happen to catch any of the games he played with Atlanta or perhaps the game he played with Toronto against Denver where he had 22 points, I think? What did you think? So I did... I watched those games, but I was looking for other stuff. So I wasn't, I, nothing necessarily stuck out to me. I do agree with you that he has the most upside of the three guys you mentioned. I will just say Patrick McCaw, people seem to be confused as to why he's playing as much as he's playing or has played in the past. As a coach, I'll say this. You trust guys who look good in practice. You don't want a guy who looks, eh, in practice and throw them out in the game and then expect them to be something different. You go with what is proven and what is earned in practice, as I continue to say. So he must be a tremendous guy again in practice. I'm sorry for continuing to say it. That's why he must earn so many minutes, or at least that is why to me, if people are trying to figure that out as a coach, I can tell you that's what I see. So for and Stanley Johnson, he's a guy who you look at him, I look at him anyway, and I think there's so much potential there. If he can only become 5% better at this and that and this and that, he'd be a tremendous compliment to the front court of OG and Pascal. But you can't really think of it in terms of potential. You have to take him for the player that he is. With the Raptor system, he will continue to grow and develop. But as for what he is right now, that is, it's a, it's a finite thing. It's a capped thing. If he, if he gets better, great. But there's just so much there that you like if it was just a little better. Okay, speed around. Yuta Watanabe, O'Shea Brissett, 
I would guess they're competing for the same position on the roster. O'Shea, if he gets cut, gets 300,000 guaranteed. I think Utah, if he gets cut, gets 50K guaranteed. But Utah, they could put him in the G League, whatever the G League is this current season. Those two guys, it appears, are competing for the same spot. Utah has looked better. I know you're a big Watanabe fan. I think he's, I, I said this before they started playing the games. I watched some of his games with the Memphis Hustle. I thought this guy should probably be in the NBA. He plugs in well next to good players. He obviously with Memphis Hustle could display some leadership chops as the best guy on the floor. He's a good defender, very active hands, active on defense. And offensively, I think a good sense for where to be. Cuts towards guys who need help finds open spaces as a shooter and as a rim runner. I like Utah a lot. O'Shea, probably a higher defensive potential, but a lower offensive ceiling. What do you think about those two guys? Do you have a preference? I do. I'm very biased. I am based close to D.C. I saw Utah Watanabe play for GW uh, with my Philippine ties. I saw a bunch of his like national team stuff. So he's somebody I've seen a lot more of. So, and there's a lot more for me to like, plus he's a tall lefty, big fan of those shout out to Samson folk. Um, <laughs> so he's a guy who I think fits in a lot better based on what I can imagine him fitting in with the big six guys. I see at this point, the big six is, OG Pascal, Fred, Kyle, Norm, and Baines. So he's a guy who I think you could slot him just about anywhere there besides the lead ball handler, and he would he would be effective in those minutes. So I won't really speak to O'Shea just because I don't have any familiarity with him. That wouldn't be fair. Yeah, well, I'll speak for O'Shea then. As I said, rangy defensively is. I would say a vastly improving help side defender. He is, he provides more energy than Yuta, but at this point in time, Yuta is way better at choosing the spots. If O'Shea Brissett starts reading the game better, boundless energy guys start to make incredible waves in the NBA if they know when to pick and choose. Brissett could be a really, really affecting defender down the line, whether that's this year what they want from the roster this year at this point in time. And I know Brissett is like a hometown boy. He's from that area. Like he's from the GTA, the greater Toronto area. A lot of the fans love Brissett. He's cool. He, he documented stuff in the bubble. He's a fan favorite for obvious reasons. And I think, and he's a known quantity in some ways to the Raptors. He's been in-house. That matters as well. Utah's trying to beat a guy who's been there. But Utah, I think, has looked better so far. Okay, let's talk front court. Front court, we have, I would say, you have Len, Baines, Boucher. Those are your three big guys. Alizé Johnson, I don't think is going to factor in as fun as he is, as good a rebounder as he is. He's an interesting player. I just don't think he'll be a big factor. Baines is the starter out and out, as you said, a member of the big six on the Raptors, the guys who are just clear cut, they're going to be there. 
as far as we're thinking about Boucher and Len, I think initially a lot of people thought Boucher is the backup five, Len is the backup to the backup. I think, and this is something I thought beforehand, but the preseason games provide an insight to say Len is probably the backup five. Boucher might steal minutes at that position, but Boucher, ideally, a lot of his minutes will come at the four. And Boucher is at risk of losing that position if he has it at all. Because Len is a very easy plug-in defender. He's great around the rim. He's great in the paint. He's deeply affecting Boucher. He's can be Bambi-esque, can be everywhere, can be foul-heavy, can be out of position, but provides an incredible ceiling as a help side guy. And offensively, as a role man and as a floor spacer, obviously a much higher ceiling than Len. What do you think about the competition between those two guys? So when you think about when we're thinking about front court stuff, I like to break it down like this. 48 minutes at the center spot. OG is going to take some of that. We're, we can talk about this later with best lineups, but your best lineup is with OG at the five, and that's what I think Nurse will use to close out games. So you take away, what, the last four minutes of the game for that? You, so we're working with that. Baines, the, the nominal starter. So who else is on the floor with Boucher or Len is my question, and I think that will dictate who is on the floor more. Because Alex Len is a guy who has shown he can space the floor, but is he a willing shooter? It doesn't feel like it. There, there was a stretch in Atlanta where he shot lights out, and then it felt like he just stopped shooting it. It felt like he just decided, eh, I don't, I don't want to do that. So I think Boucher being a willing shooter is going to make a much bigger difference. It could be a completely different story if Len starts going crazy and catches and shoots every single time. So you have offense versus defense at this point is what I'm thinking. Offensively, Boucher, a vertical threat, a lob threat on pick and rolls, things like that. Alex Len, the much better defender. I agree with you. I think if you, if I'm penciling in the rotations right now, it's Baines, Len, Boucher, and the potential to earn more minutes will be how practice looks, how he, how Boucher fits alongside certain groups versus Len and which one you're more likely to have out there. So I think Len right now, but it's an interchangeable thing. And I wouldn't be surprised if halfway through the season, we saw a complete drop off for Len or a complete drop off for Boucher. It could go either way for me. Yeah. That's a good way of pointing it out is that if the Raptors say are playing like, Baines needs a breather. They don't want to put OG at the five, but they have Lowry, Van Vliet, and Siakam all on the floor at the same time. It probably won't be Boucher. It will probably be Len. And if Baines were to get injured and the Raptors, say, need a starting five, it probably won't be OG, and it probably won't be Boucher. I imagine they would put Len in the starting lineup to, to maintain some minutes, some rotations, I think, but also because... He just slides in 
as a tertiary player a little bit easier. In lineups where it's like DeAndre Bembry, maybe Malachi Flynn, maybe Patrick Picasso slides in, who knows what they're doing. But if it's a lineup where they say, we need a little bit of offensive pop, you go Boucher over Len every single time because he's going to give you the high ceiling opportunity to punch up at a lot of points in not so many possessions. That's really interesting. Baines, let's spotlight now. I have, we, we have clips of him creating just miles of space for Devin Booker as a screener. You hope to see some of that emulated with Pascal, Fred, and Kyle, even Malachi Flint to some degree. So we're looking at a guy who just creates miles and miles of space for the guys he's screening for. When you look at what he's doing and what he provides as a pick-and-pop threat, what do you think he adds to the Raptors' offense? And even so, what do you think he adds to their defense with his, his decent court mapping and size defending the rim? As a screener, Baines is fantastic. He, I'll say it, he murders guys on screens. He's bone-crushing, soul-crushing on screens as a pick and pop guy. He's a, he's a threat. He is, he allowed Phoenix to space the floor the way they did last year. Here's where I think it could get really fun for rap for the Raptors and Raptors fans. His ceiling, the inside seal. If, if this is how you know it, it's the, it's the Gortat. It's the Tice. It's when you're rolling you find a spot on the block and you seal the big, your defender, as if you're posting up, which allows a wide open lane for the driver. I think that's something that Toronto will, could really use. It's something they lacked last year because when the offense stagnates and you go pick and roll and you talked about this, you're playing the pick and roll to play make instead of looking to score it gets really tough when things get bogged down. Now with Baines, he can pop. That's a shot right there. And you're playing pick and roll to play make. That's an option for you. But the way he can just move guys out and clear that space, that's going to lead to wide open layups, especially for a guy like Fred, who, you know, for all his shortcomings, is a, is terrific off ball. He wants to be an initiator and a creator more, especially in the pick and roll. And he sometimes gets tunnel vision, in my opinion, when he is attacking in the pick and roll. He's a guy who, if Baines creates that space for him, he'll have wide open, wide open layups. So I think he brings a dimension that the Raptors really lacked, actually. That's what excites me the most about Baines, is that he puts a little bit more of the onus on the ball handlers to take their own shot. And I have long lamented, as you said, that the Raptors use the pick and roll for their bigs to score and rarely ever for their ball handlers to score. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And it's a big problem in the playoffs, which is why you saw Fred in the pick and roll could not score against Boston Siakam couldn't score against Boston in the pick and roll, and they had to resort to Kyle, and Kyle could turn it on for a bit, but asking him to be the only guy over seven games, too much, way too much. I'd love to see that change this year. And that's not to say they have to just barrage teams with pick and roll, but just please, an eye towards the rim, 
a jumper, stuff like that, I would love. So front court, done. Wings, done. Guards. Now, this is arguably wings and guards because Pascal, second team all NBA, OG, snubbed from all defensive teams, a very low usage starter, but Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, Malachi Flynn, they look very exciting. Terrence Davis, shortcomings defensively, but significant scoring pop. He always, always finds spaces for himself on the floor, either as a cutter or as a shooter. He he slots in next to a lot of different types of players, and he scores when he's on the floor. Simple as that. Flynn, Fred, and Kyle Lowry. The two-guard starting lineup, I think, creates more room for Malachi Flynn, a guy who, under typical roster construction, wouldn't get any minutes. There's an opportunity for Flynn not only to have two, three minutes a game as the lone guy on the court with the ball in his hands, but also you could get between eight to 12 minutes a game of him next to one of Kyle or Fred, and that looks increasingly exciting. So I'll let you wax poetic. You know all about Kyle, Fred, less so about Flynn, but what do you think of their backcourt thus far? So just off the jump, I want to hit on Flynn immediately. He has looked good in the two preseason games. One thing I know about him for sure is he is a good defender. So if he's a good defender, he will earn minutes on the court. And in that way, plus he, he, correct me if I'm wrong, he's not a guy who really needs the ball, right? He, He can find his spots and attack spaces. So when you talk about Kyle and Malachi being your primary ball handlers and Fred sort of playing off ball, you have a wealth of options there. Kyle Lowry is a guy who just relentless. He is a winner. He makes winning plays. He, I was going through some film. You can expect a Kyle Lowry video. Looks a little bit like he's got some gnash in him on the pick and roll, the way he probes, the way he finds gaps, the way he exploits wayward limbs to get to the free throw line, we'll say. (laughs) And so Fred is a guy who he's most effective when he's off ball. He wants to be a a playmaker and initiator, a guy with the ball in his hands. That can work to some extent. But I think if I'm Nick Nurse, I... And he's a guy who doesn't want to put, seems like he doesn't want to put a ceiling on his key guys. I would limit that more because Fred's belief in himself is fantastic. I think his belief in himself is what has allowed him to become the type of player he has become. But I think as a coach, you have to sort of sit him down or maybe not even this extreme, but tried to talk to him about this is what we need you to be very good at. These are the things you want to be doing. But right now we have Kyle right now we have Malachi who we're going to be developing and you are more dangerous as an off ball threat than being the guy who takes the ball out of their hands. So we're going to maximize your role here. We'll find you spots and, 
and give you the ball in situations where you can succeed. But you have to trust that we as a staff are not going to give you the ball just because you want more reps at that spot. It has to be situational. It has to be the right thing to do. So when you're managing those three guards, if you have the ball in Kyle's hands, he will find Malachi. He will find Fred. With Fred not necessarily going to be the distributor, but he brings such a force defensively that I can't really sit here and say, well, he'd be better off if his role was more limited. The truth is he's better when you're on the floor. It's just he's better with the ball out of his hands. Yeah, I think you touched on several really important things. I'll just highlight what I think Fred is best at. So working off ball, relocation, he's always been able to find himself open above the break, especially that above the break three-point shooting is one of the most underrated skills in the NBA because teams hemorrhage into the corners. And I get that, but the adjustment has come defensively. Typically. I know the Raptors are like one of the only teams that play defense and say, shoot from the corners, do your thing. But most teams are going to cover the corners. Fred finds the weak spot, the chink in the armor in a lot of defenses when he's off ball. He is a phenomenal tempo setter and he can push the pace after he grabs the board or after he gets like a little shovel pass. He creates transition opportunities out of possessions that probably don't deserve to be transitioned. And he creates to the corners really, really well when he does that. Those two parts of his game I find to be immaculate. Truly all-NBA level. Very, very good. Top tier. Pick and roll. They spam pick and roll possessions from Fred too often. He is a middling pick and roll passer. And he is worse than that as a scorer. And even worse... He is not good against switches because he doesn't have that middle. He is a two-level scorer. He can shoot it, of course. And if he was in an empty gym, I think there would be very few players, if anybody on the roster, who would shoot better from mid-range than Fred. But in the mid-range, he gets cramped. He's small. He has a slow release, and it's a slow build. So he's not great in that area, which means if he gets a switch, he has to pull up against a big whose contest comes quick and it comes high. And so Fred adjusted by extending his range to three, four feet out behind the three-point line. That's good. That's a nice adjustment. And then, but that's not always viable. Then when he's going to the rim, players track his steps. He's small. He's got short arms. And he's not, like, he's, he's good at, like, the up and unders. And he has nice English on his ball. But he's, not, he's crafty finishing, but he's not crafty getting past rim defenders. It's tough for him. Just it, his body does him no favors. So he doesn't have that mid-range to kind of, okay, he'll find a soft spot and he'll make a shot and he'll make a team pay for switching. Typically, it's just a reset or a missed shot. That is not good for an offense to go through. And that's a big part of the Raptors' half-court struggles. Fred, less of those possessions, more utilization off ball. Sometimes he can be on ball. I'm looking forward to seeing how much of Kyle, Fred, and Malachi play off ball, who's getting on ball possessions, that kind of stuff. Defensively, 
Malachi Flynn, Defensive Player of the Year in this conference, has shown, even though it's preseason, nice screen navigation, very impressive at the point of attack. Guard defense typically can translate pretty well to the NBA, I find. Now, Fred Van Vliet, Kyle Lowry, two guys who, for a couple years, just because they were small, people decided they weren't very good at defense. The tide is finally catching up, the, the sentiment, and now we're kind of like, oh, they're both all NBA-level defenders, though neither has been chosen. They, Fred especially, one of the nastiest diggers in the league. Like, if there's a guy posting up and Fred comes in for the dig, he's probably leaving with the ball and heading the other way. He is nasty in there. If Fred is near the lane, he can get his hands on a lot of stuff. He's really good at the rip, very good. And his pick-and-roll defense, fantastic, blows up a lot of actions. And anybody who watched the finals in 2019, you know he can track a guy off ball. He did a phenomenal job on Curry. Lowry, the one of the most intelligent backline defenders at the guard position in the history of basketball. It is insane that a guard who is six feet and maybe even a little bit shy of that scares people away from the paint. But Lowry's smarts, his positioning, and his anticipation make him dangerous as a defender because you know if you leave your feet, the ball's probably going the other way because he's going to take a charge. And he's just like, if you've ever played a 1-3-1 defense and you're the bottom guy and you run that baseline, it's just reading the, the, what the offense wants to do, the proper amount of stunting, the proper amount of actually committing, finding that balance is hard. Lowry finds the balance, and it's not a 1-3-1. It's just he often finds himself back there because of the rotating defense, and he's so good at it. I, they, I love watching all those guys play defense. Flynn more so as he plays, but Fred and Lowry deserve tons of flowers for what they do on the defensive end, at the very least. Absolutely. Just really quick, it, it might sound like I'm down. To your point, he's a great push-paced point guard. In the half court, I mean, when things get bogged down, that's when I don't want him necessarily on the ball because of how dangerous he can be without it. So I just want to get that clear. Second thing, Kyle Lowry, he is, when you look at him, if you don't know anything about the league, you would think that is a mismatch waiting to happen. Guys are going to barrel into him and post him up. I put together a little video during the championship run of Joel Embiid, uh, Ben Simmons, bunch of Giannis even, trying to back him down in the post, and he's not budging. So when you think of a guy who is an elite rim defender, a rock-solid post-up defender, and it turns out he's not even six feet tall, that can do wonders for your defense. Yeah, and just to his pull-up three-point shooting and set three-point shooting, talking about Kyle here, has been trending downward. Whether it will keep doing that, whether you can expect Kyle to be like a 34% three-point shooter, I'm not sure if that's going to come back up. That is a developing part of his game. It's, it could slip a little more. 
the legs, the back. He's aging. Who's to say? But his passing just keeps getting better and better. His interpretations of the floor are what's brought him to the Hall of Fame, both on offense and on defense. He tricks teams all the time. They just have no idea what he wants to do with the ball. And then a pass is there, and it's a dunk. And you're like, how the hell did this happen? He's an incredible passer. He manages the game better than almost any player out there. He has been, since he's hit his prime, a correct and honest, I think, he is comparatively similar to Chris Paul since in these past however many years. He doesn't have the start of his career to lean on like Chris Paul does. Chris Paul probably has a better career, sands the championship. But Chris Paul and Kyle Lowry have been separated by margins and slim ones since Lowry started ascending in the league. He's been that good. He's aging extremely well. His game just, it it ages like a fine wine in a lot of aspects. So I love what Lowry's been doing. The whole team cover now. So we've got our wings, guards, and bigs. We have Nurse. We have Finch. We have uh, Jama Malalela. We have Scariolo. We got Alex McKechnie. We got Bobby Webster, Masai Jiri. Got a lot of big names guiding the ship off the court and applying their, their intelligence to the Raptors' offense and defense. Ceiling, floor. All these things considered, what is the Raptors' ceiling this year? What is their floor this year? If you want to talk tiers, I would say there are three in the window of championship or bust in the East, Milwaukee, Boston, Miami. Championship or bust, doesn't really matter what they do in the regular season. There are the, ne- the next tier down is two of them are high ceiling and the other is low floor. The two high ceiling teams are Philly and Brooklyn. They could mess around and win a championship. There are question marks for both teams. We could talk about them at a different time. Toronto is in that tier with a high floor. So, sorry, there's, there's very little for them to go down. Is, yeah. So, there, Toronto is a team I very much expect to be incredibly competitive no matter what playoff series they end up in. The regular season, who knows how it's going to shake out. I am having trouble projecting where teams are going to end up because you have to factor in, like you said, they don't have any home games. All of them are away from what they know, whereas every other team, every other market, they are home. They get to be and enjoy the comforts of everything they know regularly. So this is a team I could see if injuries for the other team happens, if Pascal and OG make the type of jump I would want them to make, they could end up in the finals. That wouldn't be crazy to me. They could lose in the any time before that. That wouldn't be crazy to me either. It would all depend on matchups and health. They're a team who I don't really know where their ceiling is. They could do, you could tell me they do anything in the playoffs and I'll believe you. Floor. They're going to make the playoffs. 
more than likely they're going to be a top five, top six seed. I expect them to take just a smidge of a step back defensively. If Marcus Gasol was coming back, I would say they would finish as a top three to top five defense. Five to eight, a top five to eight defense is how they end up. Offensively, they have a lot of questions that I need to see some some answers from before judging what they can be offensively. But hiring Chris Finch and having all of those offensive geniuses, all those great minds trying to work together to find a solution to their half-court woes. We'll see how that shakes out. In the regular season, I don't think that'll matter as much because they're going to run, 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 and that will be a byproduct of their fantastic defense. So ceiling floor, that's what I got. Yeah. So my thoughts initially, I think you're correct in that the defense, I think you make a good call, five to eight seems like, hey, they'll probably be around there. I wouldn't be shocked if they go top five, though. Just with Kyle, Fred, Pascal, OG, Baines is even, like, slightly above average. But Baines is, you know, he's, he's 34. It's not like he's a really young guy. It's not like he's super spry. But looking at those four guys, OG, Pascal, Fred, Kyle, that can get you to a very high level defensively on its own. It remains to be seen, though, as you say, with the offensive question marks, the most interesting aspect of the Raptors season, I think. You could see them going out of the top 10. You could see like a 13, 14, like they they might be 13th or 14th in the league in offense if the questions they have are not answered with the answer they like. If it is that, Siakam has been figured out to some degree. If OG's handle is going to pop off every sixth game, not every game. If Fred is stagnated, if Kyle tails back a bit, they will have to work hard with transition to become a top 15 defense. If all, if everything goes wrong, if everything goes right, if OG, Pascal, Fred all improve as offensive creators, which I don't think is crazy. I don't think that's beyond the pale. And Kyle is static. He's very close to the player he was last year. They could quite, I, I, it would be quite conceivable to me that they're a better offensive team this year, statistically, than they were last year. That wouldn't shock me. But those things probably need to happen. Ceiling, floor, as you said, they'll be, they have championship fiber in the team. Nothing they do in the playoffs would surprise me. I would be shocked at a first-round exit. But if they made it to the finals, if they, like, they were the puncher in the Eastern Conference, like teams, if they matched up with the Raptors and they thought, like, oh, my God, this team is going to kill us over seven games. And instead of Kyle Lowry fouling out at the end of a game seven, you have shot-making from one of Fred, Pascal, or Kyle, maybe even OG then they can steal stuff. And teams have stolen series, as we saw with the Nuggets. The trouble is with the ceiling thing, they won't have the best player in a series against Milwaukee, Boston, Miami, if Jimmy regresses, but probably not. Brooklyn, no, it's going to be KD. And who else is there? They're the fifth team. 
Oh, Philly, Joel Embiid. Philly. They just Pascal would have to be monumental in his steps to outpace any of those five guys. That's what makes it tough. That's why I don't blame people for saying the Raptors really aren't a title contender. I think they are a very good team. I wouldn't be shocked if they got to any place in the playoffs, as you say, but I don't blame anyone for thinking otherwise. Not at all. Okay, we've established the ceiling, the floor. We've talked about the team up and down. Now, the tone setter. The, the man who comes in and controls the pace of the team. The person who has the aux cord, because teams have noise. As you saw, the Clippers had noise last year. And the noise wasn't music. It was, ah, muffled screams, something of that sort. The Raptors, when they won, vibes, good ones, a lot of memes. They had an incredible rise, that kind of stuff. Spicy P came along. Kyle Lowry, Kawhi Leonard had some camaraderie. Serge Ibaka, eating food, filming it, all that kind of stuff. Marcus Saul comes along. He's vino papi. He, he drinks a lot of wine, that kind of stuff. Very good. These Raptors have a person who they exude what the, the organization exudes. They have the ox cord in the allegorical or metaphorical vehicle of the Raptors. Who has the ox cord for the Raptors? Who do you believe that player is or organizational person? Not to worry Raptors fans too much, but it's got to be Masai for me. He's just, he just, he expects certain things from the team. He brings such a high standard. He brings in a certain type of guy, a certain level of guy, and that sets the tone. Now, if we're done talking about up top, everything else, is Kyle Lowry, greatest Raptor of all time. I don't think there's any dispute. Just the best guy. OG Ananobi hits the biggest three of the season. And while it's cool that we're talking about OG, the guy who's on all of the memes is, is Kyle with that huge smile. Just he's, he's such a giving, selfless guy See, on and off the court he will lay his body out and take a charge on Joel Embiid if it means getting another possession. That is the type of thing that you cannot replicate. It's something you could replicate, certainly, but it's not something you could replicate inorganically. You either have that guy or you don't. I've coached teams. I've been in locker rooms where you're trying to find that guy and you're trying to talk a guy into becoming that because you can see him get there. But if he's not there, you can't push him that way. It's there or it's not. And Kyle is a guy who, and maybe he's playing music recorded by Nick Nurse. You know, (laughs) Nurse will echo throughout the vehicle. But it's Kyle. It's his aux cord. He decides what to do. Sometimes he'll give it up to other guys and let let them feel like they have a stake in this. But it's, it's Kyle through and through. I think the best example of Kyle, just everything he does bleeds into everybody around him. The Raptors' on-court ethos is Kyle Lowry's game. It just it has become completely Kyle Lowry's game. The things that he likes to see happen on a basketball court is now how the Raptors play. 
and it's because of him. And there's a reason he's so good at steering the ship. Maybe most importantly, Kyle Lowry made the all-star game, not on his own, but certainly is one of the, the flavor makers. One of, he, he made it fun with charges. I don't know who else has the cult of personality and impact on his fellow players that Kyle Lowry does that could make taking charges in the all-star game. Like you're yes, he's done it. Like it, it works like a jumper. Like James Harden hits the game winning three Kyle Lowry splayed out on the floor and everybody's cheering because it was a charge. It's, he has an incredible magnetism about him that is just, I do not see it emulated by a single other player in the league. He is so unique and wonderful. The ox court is his. And obviously, Masai picked out what car they're driving in, I suppose. There, there's something there, a metaphor of sorts. But now, we're here to talk about the best lineup that the Raptors have to offer. This is not guaranteed to be the lineup that gets the most play. This isn't guaranteed to be the closing lineup. It's a lineup that we think Nick Nurse will at least play a decent amount of minutes and will win a lot of those minutes, especially on a good team. You think this lineup is going to win minutes because, of course. Now, it is the same lineup for both of us, and it consists of OGN and OB at center, and the graphic is up there right now. OGN and OB at center, Pascal Siakam at the four, Norman Powell at the three, Fred Van Vliet at the two, and Kyle Lowry at the one. Evan, let me bounce this off of you. What are the initial benefits of this lineup that just pop out to you? I liken it to the Warriors' death lineup. Pre-KD, because that's not fair. When, when KD arrived, world ending. Pre-KD. So, you talk about that group, and Steve Kerr sort of arrived at that group out of necessity. Right? He, wanted to, he wanted to set the tone. He wanted to, if you're talking about being the hammer, hitting the nail right on the head and just burying teams with a specific play style. We saw it last year against Boston. I'm sure... If I look back far enough, you could see glimpses of it here and there, of Nurse starting to dabble with it before. before. But I would love to see this lineup do what Golden State sort of did in the following season when they won 73 games, is you use this lineup to be your closing lineup to maximize what you have, your speed, your size, your shooting, your length. Well, not necessarily size in the big sense, but length. Kyle Lowry has the ball or Pascal becomes more of your initiator and you have guys like Fred and Kyle just running around, relocating. OG, we talked about him a lot. He can guard the five. Norm brings a spacing threat, a speed threat. This is a group I see teams, when it gets close to crunch time, them starting to look and turn and be like, is it happening? Are they going to bust that group out? And then just, you know, they're going to knock, I think they're really going to knock teams out with this group. When you think of this lineup, 
obviously those advantages pop out. The detractors of a lineup like this would say, maybe Baines is a better fit. You can pull Powell out. Do you think there's any case to be made there? Or do you think you just have to kind of put your head down and say, OG's going to handle it and Norm is going to bring enough offensive punch to keep the Baines lineup away from being the best Raptors lineup out there? So there's a sense of familiarity with the reason I talked about the Warriors lineup is because it's a proven thing in the playoffs. Boston is a really, really good team. They're terrifically well coached. They're incredibly long also. You're talking about a group that was able to, I would say, draw even or draw level with them just because of how good they were. I could see a world, like you said, if Baines is rolling, or not necessarily rolling because he might not roll, if Baines is popping off, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, if Baines is popping off, then yeah, sure, I could see that being the case. But I think of it more in terms of defensively, in terms of switchability. The only guy you would really worry about being switched onto a big there is Fred just because I talked about how Kyle pushes bigger guys. Norm and his switchability, I think, plays a, plays a bigger factor than what Baines could bring as a big. Because I think OG as your five is lethal, and having a guy bigger but slower than him, not, not the best. Yeah, I think they were susceptible to lob threats a little bit with that lineup but the proof is in the pudding the defensive rating was insane with that lineup and they also needed to score the ball too and norm actually especially in that double overtime game it was kind of like oh this scoring pop is very important and they weren't going to go to surge because surge was getting murdered in the pick and roll defensively they just they couldn't do it I know some like that. That was a huge conversation throughout the offseason and during that series was like, why isn't Serge closing? Because he's going to score the ball. And it's like, are you watching the pick and roll defense? Kemba is eating him alive. And you watch OG switch onto Kemba, and suddenly Kemba's like, oh, I don't want the ball anymore. I don't want to dribble around this guy. I'm not going to beat him off the dribble. And he could also keep Tice off the glass. So, OG Ananobi, his continued excellence at the five makes the Raptors' best lineup go from a best lineup to potentially a redux of the death lineup. And it depends on what they're doing offensively, of course, too. But there is some serious potential for that lineup to just roll over teams. I'm, I'm very excited. Anything else you'd like to talk about regarding the Raptors? What interests you? What have we not touched on? Have we missed anything? No, not really. Besides my love for Kyle Lowry. Just there's there's never enough time. We could we could sit here and talk for two hours and I could just go on and on and I could show you clips, things like that. Just I love him so much. He is a consummate winner. He's a guy who I'm so glad he has a championship because he's he's a guy in that group of the Jimmy Butler, Chris Paul where it's like these dudes may not have a ring, but they are winners. They set the tone. They are so unselfish and they 
elevate everything you do. Maybe not necessarily as an organization because they go to organizations where there is already that, but as a team, it just, you shoot up. So my love for Kyle, just wanted to shout it out one more time. I'd like to highlight, and I'll throw the play up. It's Kawhi Leonard's big dunk on Giannis. Just, I think the the easiest thing to say, like, what does Kyle Lowry do in the margins that you don't see? On that huge dunk, when you're watching Kawhi, you might notice that Kyle is pulling on <laughs> Giannis. Like, he's pushing him down so he can't contest it properly. And in that moment, why he thinks he has to do that, hilarious. But that's a guy who, at any cost, is like, I have to win this game. I'm not giving Giannis a chance to block Kawhi. I'm going to dig my elbow into his hip. Incredibly funny. An incredible winner. Kyle Lowry. Yeah, so much love for him. Evan, that's the Toronto Raptors, man. I feel like we've talked about the team. I feel like that's a pretty resounding, like 100% of the roster. Like we talked about it. That's the team. That's OG level court coverage is what that is. Yes. OG Pascal level court coverage. Chris Boucher on the off occasion where he's Spider-Manning out to a three-point <laughs> shooter. Something yes. like that. So if you are listening to this on Raptors Republic, check out my channel. We have the video version of this up. Coach's Corner will be... I think it is more beneficial to see the clips I'm talking about. So please check that out. Thanks for tuning in. This was an absolute blast. Evan, thank you very much for coming on. This is the fourth time now, I think, with Raptors Republic. Always a blast. So much fun. If anybody enjoyed this and wants more NBA-wide stuff, you can check out Evan's channel, as he said, Evan Guaberto, where we'll be hosting a weekly podcast talking about NBA stuff. If you liked our opinions, if you want to see that at any point in time, whatever. If not, I hope you enjoyed the Raptors conversation. I hope you, honestly, I hope you enjoy the Raptors season because I think it'll be lots of fun. But that's it for me. That's it for Evan. That's it for you, whether you're getting into this in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye.